Well, we're in the book of Micah, starting a new bu- book. And I don't, you guys know that I'm a history nerd, but you don't know how much of a history nerd I am. I remember as a kid, I'm not that old, so I was watching Nick at Night, and they had Rocky and Bullwinkle on when I was like seven or eight years old. My favorite part of that whole show was when Mr. Peabody jumps into that time machine, and they go back into some time in history. That, that is the best part. Forget the rest. I just wanted to see what life used to be like. Well, we're going to do the same thing right now. We are going back to 720-ish B.C. We're leaving the 21st century. We're driving past the 1st century with the Corinthians. We were there for a long time. And now we're going all the way back to 700-ish B.C., ancient Israel and Judah, where Isaiah is prophesying, Hosea is prophesying, maybe one or two others, depending on the timeline. And with Micah, who we're going to focus on, he's our kind of guy, a small-town guy. And we're going to see that in this book, we're going to have these cycles of judgment and salvation, judgment and salvation, and we're going to talk a lot about a thing called prophecy. Now, prophecy is having history in advance. It's knowing the future, what's going to happen, and having that before it actually happens. So it's very important for us to start off by knowing that the book of Micah and many of the other minor prophets have been found in their entirety in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Why is that important? We're going to talk about that later. But I want us to know that these prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, the future, or even the prophecies that happened in his local time, we have found have not been changed after the fact. It's one of the most important proofs that the Bible is the Word of God. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to dig into the background of what's happening in 700-ish B.C. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you spoke through men, gave them your words to share with us. I thank you that you gave us evidences and texts and archaeology and history, all showing us that your word is true and faithful and could never be changed. And so we pray that we would learn from that time And apply it to this one, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read verse 1 together, book of Micah, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moreseth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Small sentence, a lot of stuff to unpack. I said that Micah lived in a small town. It's named Moresheth Gath in verse 14. We're going to see that in this chapter. Here it's just uh, Moresheth. It's on the border of Palestine at that area, the Philistine area, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it's about 25 miles away from Jerusalem and this small town. He is a champion of the poor a champion of the small town. He's going to speak on the sickness in society at that time, about real social injustice, about religious apostasy, oppression, usury of leadership. That's when leadership's buying religious um, places like the temple priests or being the high priest. They were just buying those things and taxing people into oblivion. And Micah would say about himself in chapter 3, in verse 8, he says, Truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And so Micah is a prophet. Isaiah is a prophet. Hosea as well. 
with an H. And what do we think about when we think about this time period? You may think singularly. You may think um, as we read through the text that he's just one guy. He's the only one speaking at that time. And everybody knows that he's from God and everyone knows that he speaks for God. And nothing could be further from the truth. You could think of the nation of Judah and Israel and think, wow, they are God's chosen people. And at this time, they're all serving the Lord and following after him. Nothing could be further from the truth. What's happening in 700 B.C. is the nation is split between a northern kingdom and a southern. We'll look at that in more detail later. And we see here in verse 1, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, that this prophecy is over a group of time. In the southern kingdom, most of the kings are bad. A few of them are righteous and good. In the northern kingdom in Israel, they are all bad. Every single one is wicked. You only have wicked and pure evil. Those are your only two to choose from. And Micah is going to prophesy against both of them. Let's look together. You'll see that this time of the prophets and this time of the kings as we have here is very convoluted towards the end of the kingdom here. Now, I have this thing. I'm going to try it out here. I'm going to try it. I just think, can I? Ah, does it work on there? Ah, see, I've never tried that before. I thought it was cool. So Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, this is the time that Micah is going to be prophesying here. You'll notice that when, let me do this thing, when Jeremiah is prophesying, what did I just do? Ah, there we go. This is the end of the nation of Judah in here, and this is the end of Assyria up in here. All right, let's erase all that. That's garbage. We quit. That was the beta version. We were just trying that out. Erase all. Oh, that's cool. It has a button. I'm experimenting on you guys. So I want to talk about times in history, and I know that some of you did not stay up late watching Rocky and Bullwinkle just to see Mr. Peabody go into the time machine, and you're just uh, bored to death right now. Well, let's put things into perspective. In 700 B.C., it was 922 B.C. when the kingdom was divided between north and south. That means it's 197 years since the kingdom split. That means that your kids, you, your grandparents, this is just the way things have been. This is normal for you. It's been 275 years since 1000 B.C. when David went into Jerusalem and brought the ark with him. That's 275 years ago from this time that Micah is speaking. And Exodus happened around 1300 B.C. That's 575 years earlier, and they're still learning about Moses. To them, that's just ancient history. Maybe it's mythology. Maybe it's true. The thing we have to understand is that Israel in the northern kingdom is completely given over to idolatry, and the southern kingdom is not much different. In fact, it's only going to be 25 years in the future from this time that when the Assyrians are going to come from the north and destroy Israel. I don't think we're really getting that time frame, though, on what it means culturally. Let's look at the United States, for example. It's been 78 years since World War II, and for most of us, that's ancient history. It's been 158 years since the end of the Civil War. 158 years And 247 years ago, some guys got together, wrote on a piece of paper in 1776 and started a a movement. 
That was 247 years ago. And think about what that does to our generational thinking and how much has changed. Nothing is new under the sun. You see, with Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the south, they are nowhere near taking over the whole promised land like they were supposed to. They're a long ways away from, Jude, from David's conquests. Notice that the Philistines still have the western shore at Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza. The northern kingdom, if we look up above the kingdom of Israel outside of this map, the mighty Assyrians are there, about to come down to the south. You still have the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Armenian tribes. Later on, in about a century, the Persians are going to come from even farther to the east. In this culture right now, in Jerusalem itself, there's idol worship. There's the gods of the Philistines, Dagon, the god of the Moabites, the god of the Ammonites, the god of the Assyrians, and they're worshiping all of them. You'll find the temples and the synagogues next to the high places and next to the Philistine gods. You would even have people in the nation of Israel that will go to the temple and make sacrifices to Yahweh, Jehovah, and go home and worship family idols as well. And to them, they're the advanced culture. They're thousands of years removed from Abraham. They're half century, excuse me, half a millennia removed from Moses, 200, 300 years removed from David. That's just ancient history. They're more modern. Their culture's more complex. They're more open to other things. There's other things happening. And this is just the way it is, and it's been this way for 200 years. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Maybe we can relate to us. And in the midst of that, we have Micah, who comes in and says, no, no, and and the Lord is going to speak through that handful of men. But just as that culture is convoluted and that history is convoluted, there are many other prophets, false prophets, speaking at the same time as well. But we'll talk about that more a little later. Let's pick up with what Micah begins to preach here in verses 2 through 5. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So remember, Samaria is the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. He's speaking against both nations. Micah is going to use a variety of different language tools. He's going to use poetry, allegory, prose, all kinds of stuff. And I'll do the best I can to point that out when it happens, because when it's translated into English, it doesn't carry over as well. He's going to speak of local prophecy. As I said, the Assyrians are about to come in 25 years and destroy Israel. In about 100 years, the Persians are going to come and destroy Judah. We'll talk about that. And then he has future prophecy, the prophecies of Jesus and his first coming, and also prophecies that are yet future because Jesus is going to return again 
in our timeline. And I don't know if that's 25 years, 2,500 years. I don't know if 25 minutes. But the Lord will return. But what are we already seeing here? What we think is normal in our culture is not normal to God. What we think is advanced is backwards. What we think is open-minded is so open-minded that our brains have fallen out. It's, it's crazy. And nothing is new under the sun. In our town today, we have different churches. We have different temples. We have different styles of worship. We have different deities and thoughts. But somebody is speaking for God the same way that it was in that time in 700 B.C. How is it that I can claim that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone and that if you do not accept Him as Jesus, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you will die and you will go to hell for eternity? That is pretty exclusive. That is not advanced. That is not modern thinking. They would call me a religious, intolerant, fundamentalist bigot. I'm guilty of most of those things. But if we were to ask our Muslim neighbors, which of course we'll be great neighbors, we love our neighbors, we love our enemies, and to follow the ways of the Lord makes even his, our enemies to be at peace with us, they would say that if you don't accept Muhammad as a prophet and follow the five pillars of Islam, that we are damned to go to hell. Well, this is important because one of us is right, and the destination is vital. See, someone is speaking for God. And just as it was in 700 B.C., here it is in 2023, somebody's wrong and somebody's right. How do we know the difference? I told you earlier that we had the um, scrolls. They're gone. They just disappeared. Dead Sea Scrolls. Thank you for praying for me. The Dead Sea Scrolls that shows us the archaeological, historical, and prophetic evidences that the Bible is accurate. And we're going to talk about those things. Here, Micah tells us that the Lord is in His temple. Where is His temple? It's outside of space and time. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne room. It is not a literal place in our dimension because it's outside of time and space. It is beyond our comprehension, and yet He is there. We look at time linearly. We experience it every minute in the present, and then it is gone forever. God is prophetic because He sees all things at all times kind of weird. How, how would you explain that? The best way to explain it is if that we go to a parade today and we sit in the front row of the parade. We got our folding chairs out. We're there. We're trying to keep the kids from running out there. They're throwing the candy. You guys have all been there. We see one float at a time. We see one band at a time as it's going through. But the Lord, he's sitting in the Goodyear blimp, the first service. I call it the Michelin blimp. I don't know what was wrong with me. <laughs> He's in the Goodyear blimp. He sees the front. He sees the back. He sees the middle. He sees the whole thing at the same time. And if we take that as a timeline, creation to the end of time, he's outside of it. He can see it. And so he can take portions from the front as they're happening presently, and he can bring them into our present time. And that's what he does through Micah. The thing about it is, how do you know who's really speaking for God when there's so many people saying those things? And how can we speak into a culture when there's so many different voices around us? 
Well, let's look at what Micah says, and then let's look at his history, shall we? Let's read verses 6 through 7. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley. I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to pay to the pay of a harlot. You can see the illustrations that he's using here that worshiping false god is like being with a harlot. It's not real, it's fake, it's an imitation. You may feel good for a moment, but it's destructive. In 722 BC, exactly what Micah says happens. The Assyrians come in, they destroy Samaria, they take everyone captive, and we never hear of the ten tribes ever again. The Assyrians are so evil, they would put hooks in people's noses in their jaws. They would run a chain through those loops, and then they would drag the prisoners out. And Micah's telling them that these things are going to happen. Remember, though, at this time and in this culture, not only are there false prophets, there are prophets for hire. Remember how I pointed out Jeremiah earlier and how Jeremiah is going to be prophesying a little bit later towards the end of the kingdom of Judah? He speaks about this very thing, that there were false prophets in those courts saying, don't listen to Micah, don't listen to Jeremiah. We are God's chosen people. We are always going to be here. We're going to be prosperous. The Lord's going to deliver us. The only problem is they weren't speaking for God. And Jeremiah the prophet would write in chapter 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. He's speaking of false prophets. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Many so-called prophets were prophesying great things, and that's what they wanted to hear. But that's not what God had to say about the matter. They were false. We are to test the spirits. We're to test the scriptures. We're to test the words. We're not supposed to just believe anything. I can't get a coherent thought together, but let's pretend if I did. If I'm just eloquent, that doesn't mean you believe me. We have people that are in different churches teaching different things, things that are in direct contradiction to what I'm saying. And we need to be wise as serpents, and we need to test those things. Jeremiah would also write, The Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Man, this this is sounding so familiar, this culture in 700 B.C. You know the things that they're dealing with? Abortions at the hand of Molech, killing their children worshiping false gods, false philosophies, false idolatry. Homosexuality is rampant at that time. Having eunuchs, castrated men. All these things, we think we're a modern, advanced society. We're so open with our ideas. They're backwards. 
there backwards 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, and nothing is new under the sun, like the Bible says. This isn't new. This is not new. And so we live in a similar time. Jesus, speaking through Peter, tells us the exact same thing. We would think, you know, the New Testament age of grace, it should be different today, right? Wrong. Second Peter chapter 2 says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now Peter's also speaking of the future. We're gonna, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. If you haven't realized it by now, I'm going to keep baiting you all the way through this sermon. But we need to be able to test these things. Because there's all kinds of people saying all kinds of different things. But the Lord passes the test. Remember, verses 6 and 7, when Micah spoke these things, none of them happened. But you can jump in a plane today. You can drive down to Charleston after you take mom out for brunch, jump on an airplane and fly to Israel, get on your travel bus, and you can go see the ruins of Samaria, exactly as it is described here when the Assyrians came in 25 years later, and you can check the manuscript evidence that says that these things were prophesied by God because He is God, He sits in His holy throne, and He speaks to us through His holy prophets, and they pass the test. Not so with others. Unfortunately, however, Israel is not the only one that will receive judgment. In verses 8 and 9, Micah begins speaking of himself. He says, Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Judah is no different. Now, I'm from California, and the area that I lived in behind my old house was the La Parisma State Park, and we would say it was a forest, but it's really like just a bunch of brushy desert. But there'd be coyotes out there, and those coyotes, they run in packs, and in the middle of the night, you could hear them. They don't bark. They squeal. It's like a screech. It sounds like a yell. It is kind of terrifying if you don't know what it is. That's what Micah says about himself. Therefore, I will wail and howl in verse 8. This, this is not making him happy. He finds no joy. He's talking about his own nation is going to be destroyed. Fortunately or unfortunately for him, it's going to come 100 years later for Judah, and he will no longer be on the scene. There will be three invasions of the Babylonians who become the Persians later. So if I, if I use Babylonians and Persians, I'm using them immature, um, interchangeably because the Babylonians will become the Persians. The Persians take them over. But the first invasion is in 607 B.C. We're in 720-ish B.C., so almost 100 years. And that's the time that Daniel and his friends are going to be taken into captivity, if you remember from the book of Daniel. Then in 597 B.C., about 10 years later, a second invasion comes, 
that time King Jehoiakim and 10,000 people are carried into captivity, Ezekiel and Mordecai, the cousin of Esther, are taken into captivity at that time. And then finally, the third invasion, 587 B.C., it's another 10 years. Jerusalem is completely destroyed. Its walls are destroyed. The palace is destroyed. The temple and all the inhabitants are carried away into exile and destroyed. Everything that the Bible says was going to happen, happened or is going to happen. And this doesn't make Micah excited or happy. It hurts him deeply. He's wailing. He's tearing his clothes. He doesn't like what he's seeing. He's talking about his people, his town. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the Philistines and knowing that they're going to be rejoicing when Judah is destroyed. And it's because of their own sins. You know, in America today, we have pride parades. We're enforcing it out there, and we are glorifying homosexuality, transgenderism, and we are saying that that is advanced, and that that is caring, and that is freedom, and that we're growing. This is not pleasing the Lord. This is not true. These are falsehoods. And just as in the days of Micah, when you have one or two or three people that are going against the culture and saying, this is not making God happy. And there will be a judgment for this, regardless of what we think. The Bible says that there is a coming judgment on the planet. And that there will be a seven-year period when the Lord pours out His wrath on the planet. Meanwhile, there are false prophets, false teachers, idolatry. There's false religions and false faiths out there that are clapping and applauding. This is great. This is great. This is awesome. And in 700 B.C., Micah says, no. No, God is coming. But there is hope. There is hope. You see, in verse 2, it says that the Lord is in His holy temple. And what did it say in verse 3? For behold, the Lord is coming out of His place. He will come down. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to be prophesied over and over again in this prophet Micah's testimony, descends from his holy habitation outside of space and time and indwells a body. And he is truth incarnate. Through him, all things are created and all things exist. And he is going to be the light of the world. And he shares that truth with the whole world. And then he says, believe in me and you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You can repent from your sins. You can turn from the culture. You can be not of this world. And you can be saved and be born again. That whosoever believes, anyone. There are people today that are castrated, males, who believe they are women, and they can be saved by confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we will welcome them into the family with open arms if they repent from their sins and choose righteousness. There are men who have laid with men and women who have laid with women. It is an abomination in the eyes of God, but they are sinners just like we are. And he descended from his holy habitation and took the punishment for those sins that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For those that disagree with us, we will care for them and love them, and we will preach the truth in love the same way that Micah did, the same way that our Lord did, and the, and the apostles and disciples. Nothing changes if we add 10 years, 100 years, or 10,000 years, future or past. 
But what did it also say in the first section of this book? That when he comes down, the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire. You guys thought I was just going to pass over that and not say anything? After this seven-year wrath that God pours out on the world, Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and that hill is going to split in half. And he is going to restore this planet the way that it's always supposed to be, be for, a million, for a thousand years. And then from everlasting to everlasting after that, we will rule and reign with him and be in a new heaven and a new earth. But we are just like Israel is at this time. You know, we're so inundated with all this confusion and the things that we think will last forever, the influences that they have, they're not going to last. You think that they didn't have artists and actors in Samaria? War heroes and memorials? You don't think that they had rich people and poor people? Things that they said, well, it's been like this for 200 years. It's always going to continue this way. And yet they're only 25 years from their destruction that God has chosen. Well, that doesn't happen here. Let's look in, in America today. We're tearing down Confederate statues and we're, we're changing the military bases. Fifty years ago, men that we said were heroes in America, today we're calling them traitors. Well, I'm telling you, they're both right. Let's, not, let's be honest. They're both right. But we're just changing history. We think, oh, America was great 50 years ago. In the 1950s, that's when America was great. Not if you're an African-American person in the South. You wouldn't say that. So again, context and culture, when we're looking at things from different angles, we put ourselves and we say, well, this is right or this is wrong or this is going to be forever or this person has influence. No, no, it's only the word of God that never changes and never fades away. We're looking in the wrong places. And so Micah is going to finish now by talking about those local towns and talking about what's going to happen in verses 10 through 16. Tell it not in Gath, he says. Weep not at all in Beth Ephra. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of Shepher. The inhabitant of Zanan does not go out. Beth Ezel mourns. Its place to stand is taken away from you. For the inhabitant of Meroth pinned for good. But disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. O inhabitant of Lachish, harness the chariot of the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you shall give presents to Morasheth Gath, that's his town. The house of Aksib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. I will yet bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Merishah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of your precious children. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for they shall go up from you into captivity. And they will. Both nations will go into captivity. Israel in the north will never come back. Judah in the south will come back after 70 years and only because of God's deliverance. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this entire section, verses 10 through 16, is wordplay. Micah in the Hebrew is rhyming uh, the name of the city to the clothes that he's giving in each one of those lines. Unfortunately, it's in Hebrew, so it doesn't translate in English. But he's saying, like, Beaufort will be beautiful, for example. He's rhyming each one of those towns. Now, none of that means anything to us. We don't know any of those places. 
But when he's casting judgment and he's saying, you people are going to react to these prophecies as they happen, he's saying, you know, Hilton Head, Bluffton, Ridgeland, Okatee, Buford, you know, these places, they're going to weep, they're going to mourn, they're going to have sackcloth on their, on their, and ashes on their heads because of what God's going to do. And the same thing is true of our community. God doesn't care about what we think is important and not important. He doesn't care what we think is history. He doesn't care about what voices we listen to in our culture. Truth is truth, and God is God, and He will restore all things. It is very important, and Micah's reminding us, that God's judgment will come on our town, on our people, and on our culture. But He will judge us through Jesus Christ, His Son. What have you done with my son? That's why we believers, we can relax and we can have rest. Because in chapter 7, Micah is going to say this, very, very famous. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And he's speaking of the Messiah. In the book of Micah, they're going to tell us where Jesus is even going to be born. He's going to preach of the salvation. He's going to tell us that he's coming. That we all, every tribe, every nation, every people needs to look to the Lord for salvation because He is God and we are not. And so we can have rest. We need to realize that, yes, there's nothing new. Everything we're going through now has been foretold, foreseen, and has happened already. We can test the scriptures. We can test the prophets. We can test the word of God. And we can see, yes, Those false doctrines are false. Yes, God has saved us through Jesus Christ. Yes, He will return, and He will bring all things to an account. Yes, we can trust in Him. And that's just chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your grace and for Your mercy, and we pray that You would continue to reveal Your truth to us through Your Son and through Your Word. Help us discern between false teachings and false prophets. Help us discern between the reality of your word and the nonsense of human minds and culture influenced by the enemy. Help us to stand fast in the truth and to speak that truth in love. We praise you and we thank you for the work that you're doing in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, we've got brothers and sisters up here ready to pray with you. God bless. Have a wonderful week.